Well, it's good to have everyone with us today. Uh, if this is the first time you've been with us, as Jeanette said, it's great to have you along this morning. Uh, after church, the last few weeks, we've been having um, a Zoom catch-up, a coffee in the foyer catch-up. Well, today's a little different. Because it's our anniversary service, uh, we're going to have uh, a lunch back at, uh, um, at 12 o'clock today. After church finishes, grab your lunch, make it up, do whatever you need to do, um, and come along into uh, the Zoom meeting, um, and we'll have the, the Zoom details up after church as well. So you can get on there. I think it's on the website as well. So um, it'll be great to uh, get you all onto Zoom, as many as we can, and we'll have a good time together. Um, if you weren't on our Zoom meeting last week, we talked about having a, a cake bake-off. Uh, these two cakes are looking mighty fine, to be fair, but I'm sure there are some cakes at home. My Jasper has been busy baking, and uh, he was up early to create some really amazing chocolate flowers uh, to put on his cake. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like as well. So if you haven't baked the cake, you've got, whilst you're watching and worshipping and engaging with the word, you've got about an hour and a half. Good luck. We're going to have some judging on that as well. It is going to be judged, so don't eat your cake before it's judged. Um, judging will obviously not be on the taste. You'll have to be the judge of that, but judging will be on the aesthetic look of it and maybe some other things as well. So get on to Zoom. Uh, that'll be fantastic. Um, it'll be really good. Um, it'll be very good. Now, my clicker doesn't, isn't going. That's no good. Well, there we go. While I was in the UK uh, working as a youth and children's pastor, I, I actually got involved with a, a, a um, I suppose it's a program called Stop the Traffic. It was a campaign that um, it may not have made as much um, influence here in the in Australia as it did in the UK. Um, now, Stop the Traffic has nothing to do with cars or jumping into ongoing traffic. Rather, it was all about the global problem of the second biggest organised crime system in the world, which is human trafficking. Uh, while I was there, um, I, I got the opportunities to talk through um, the, uh, this idea of, of human trafficking. And so it was, um, I was able to uh, talk to all the kids about it. And it was in my youth group. I talked to the local schools and um, it was, I was able to get this, this in, the, the church involved. Um, the avenue of thinking about children, uh, human trafficking uh, came through uh, something that piqued our interest in chocolate. You see, there was high-profile companies that sell really nice chocolate that we all eat that were profiting, profiting through the cheap or the free labour that came from child slaves. And um, they'd be made to pick these cocoa beans to produce chocolate that we'd buy at the shops at exorbitant prices. And the big global companies... They would be taking the greater profits and the kids uh, sort of picking the fruit uh, were their, I suppose their payment was that they were allowed to stay alive. So, so as I shared this with the youth group, um, the kids started to consider what difference could they make in their sphere of influence and it led them to research what chocolate brands were in our local supermarket and they petitioned to get people to not buy the chocolate that was sourced through traffic means. They could only... Um, uh, sort of get people to take the chocolate that was traffic-free chocolate. The people started to take notice of this and 60 kids picketing outside of the local shopping centre, um, letting people know that this is the type of chocolate that you should, you should buy, put pressure on the shopping centre uh, to only stock a certain amount of this 
of the chocolates that there are. Um, it then put pressure on the other um, companies as well um, further on because around the UK, lots of different groups started doing exactly the same thing. So, so it helped people to start realising that um, what the chocolate they ate actually made a difference in the human trafficking. And the kids in my youth group, they learned a, a great lesson through all this. They learned that the common good was of greater benefit than the good of their own personal desires. So this morning, as we celebrate our 31st anniversary in a new way, in a different way, I want to remind us that as a community of believers, we follow the idea of working towards common good. You see, it's a principle that plenty of people follow, regardless of being a Christ follower or not. There are lots of people who agree that working to a common good is worthwhile. However, as we explore today, common good is very much part of God's plan for the restoration of humanity to himself. You know, if I was to divine the common good, it would, it would mean that we're not being called to look after ourselves or our own group of people. Rather, the common good leads us to an understanding that we are our neighbour's keeper as such. We're called to love our neighbours as ourselves. And it demands that we ask questions like, what does it mean to care for other people's children as much as I care for my own? How do my actions impact the people around me and help them become better? That's common good. That's a framework that Jesus lived by. In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. He says this is the first and greatest commandment, but the second one is like it. And this is really important. Love your neighbour as yourself. He says it again in John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must You must love one another. So if this is the case, if this is the framework that Jesus lives by, if working towards common good is a basis for living out kingdom principles that Jesus teaches, then living towards the common good doesn't only mean that we as a church should be working towards common good. Rather, we as a church should be seeking to outwork this common good in the community, especially at the moment in the isolation space. This is a blessing to the community. Now, you might be asking why I bring this up on our anniversary. And it's a good question because right now more than ever, the question about what the church is is being raised. More people can access church in new ways at the moment. They can log on to uh, however many churches they can. But in however many months' time, we'll be coming back together as a community of believers. We're going to be the church again at some stage. In the, in the way that we used to be. But I wonder now if that's enough. I wonder if we have this opportunity within isolation to be the community right where you are now so that we can change the framework of what church is, not only in our eyes, but in the eyes of the community that we live. The community that often makes their assumptions about church from looking at the headlines or from seeing a negative or having a negative experience of the past, rather than seeing the grace that, that, that can be found in Jesus' death and resurrection, that grace that brings a new life and a common goal of good for all. So today I want to call the church to be the church. 
We need each person who calls Jesus as saviour to, to rise up and to work together to care for those who feel isolated, to serve those who are not able to get out of their houses, to stop and to listen to those who are grieving or are unwell. It's now that working for the common good is vital for the kingdom of God. My youth group found it out, and I wonder if we can find that out. Working for the common good was not only of greater benefit for the personal self, but it, set, it was actually set, what the kids found out, it was set through God's framework of what a healthy, common, godly community looked like. So this morning, as we look at the Ten Commandments, these Old Testament commandments that were handed down to Moses, we're going to be asking the question, how do we today, in isolation, be God's church who are seeking to live out and work towards the common good for all? Let me pray, and I'll uh, get stuck into the text. Our God, we just pray this morning that as we consider how we can be uh, working towards loving our neighbour, loving one another as you have loved us. Help us to understand your word and as we dig into the Old Testament, help us to understand how that relates to who we are now as a community of believers. Amen. So the Israelite community, they were coming out of slavery in Egypt. It was a community that was totally fractured, a community that had only known anxiety and fear for hundreds of years uh, as slaves under the rule of Pharaoh. Now, this was not a community that understood the need for common good. They were a group of people just seeking to survive. There was no energy to consider the common good because survival of the daily grind was enough. Through the book of Exodus, you hear of how the Egyptian taskmasters relentlessly make life hard for the slaves. They push their workforce beyond what was reasonable. And when we unpack why, we find that it stems from a fear from Pharaoh. His, his heavy-handedness and his control came from a fear that his nation uh, would be overrun by this Israelite nation that was becoming bigger. In many ways, his was anxiety-driven fear. And in many ways, anxiety beset anxiety. A community living in fear and anxiety, well, both the Israelites and the Egyptians were in the same boat, they can't afford to consider common good. They're too busy with self-preservation. Today, we have a pandemic that struck fear into the lives of many. Anxiety has led many to make rash decisions in the hope of making sure that good was being looked after for themselves, rather than thinking about good for all. I read last week that there is now, now that there's toilet paper in the shops again, that someone bought 150 packets of toilet paper back to Coles for a refund. I can't uh, repeat the blanked out words of the Coles representative uh, that he said to that person. Needless to say, they didn't get a refund. <laughs> Anxiety leads to the total opposite of common good. It's a self-fulfillment. So we have an anxious nation in the Israelites fighting for survival in a space that wasn't theirs. And into this hopeless space, God steps in, hears their cries and brings a rescuer in the form of Moses. He's able to lead them out of their slavery and into freedom, well, a sort of freedom, a wilderness um, time. They were free 
without slavery for the first time in 400 years, wandering around in the desert. However, it only takes a matter of months for the Israelites to start to grumble. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, they said. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You can see that in Exodus 16 verse 4. It's here we begin to see the absolute grace of God through the generous generosity he exhibits to his people. When the Israelites needed food, God provides bread from heaven. He gives them as much as they needed. In Exodus 16 going on, verse 15 and 16, he says, Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. In a place of wilderness, God brings them abundance. I wonder how you feel if you're part of that Israelite nation. All you've known is anxiety and fear based in a place of having nothing. All your parents and your grandparents have known is fear, is hard work, is slavery. Sure, you got some food to eat, but that's about all because you are owned by this Pharaoh. God's now moved you into a place of wilderness where there's no overriding fear from the authority of Pharaoh. You watch them die in the water. And now it's literally showering bread to the ground. This is grace. Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament theologian, talks about grace being a reach of divine generosity, not based on the recipient, on me, but based on the giver. I'll say that again. A reach of divine generosity, not based on the recipient, but on the giver. The Israelites had nothing to do with the move from scarcity to abundance. This was an act of God that began to redefine the Israelite community. They were not the ones who produced their own bread from heaven that provided the nation. It was of God. They couldn't do it for themselves. And if we bring it to our KSBC community, for 31 years, we have seen time and again the grace of God moving to create the community of believers that we have right now. We've got a rich history, a history that tells a story of faithfulness, of big dreams and of people willing to allow God to be God and seeing the movement of God in and through the people of God. And through it all we've seen God's divine generosity continue to not only sustain the church but to bring abundance to the the church. We are faithful But we haven't done it. God has been working and working and working. We've been faithful, but God has been gracious. You see, our, our response to God's grace can't be based upon looking to try and get more of God's grace. It's not about trying to twist God's arm in an attempt to get more people to church or to do more activities or to somehow make God proud. We can't do that. Because it's God that is the bringer of grace. Rather, our responses to grace that we've already received, it, it propels us, it projects us towards living in a way that reflects gratitude to his grace. Not based upon me, 
but totally on God. How incredible is that? So we've got this Israelite um, nation who have moved from this anxiety, slave-driven anxiety to a place of freedom, to a place where grace came freely, a place where community was limited to a place where community now can thrive as they have food from heaven and as they wander the desert following God. And finally they come to the foot of the mountain where they're given the commandments that Jordan read to us today. It's interesting, I was looking through uh, past sermons uh, because I knew I'd I'd preached something about the Ten Commandments a long time back. And it was about ten years ago, I was at Temple State Baptist Church and I was a youth pastor there. And I did a sermon on the Ten Commandments, slightly different to what I'm preaching now. But I asked the question, why do you think the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelite people? And I'd written a, a note beside my message at that time, that time. And it was our own Nina Thomas who shouted this out that day. This is the answer Nina gave us. She said, to show us how to live in harmony together as community. Now I say that because that's an amazing response. Because often we look at the commandments, and not just the ten, but the whole law, and we think they're laws so that we, uh, we perhaps are, are setting out ourselves right. That we do something for ourselves. But if we only see the law as rules that we obey, we miss, um, we miss the point of what Jesus brings about, that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law in Matthew 5.17. If we see him this way, we miss out on the goodness of what the law brings with respect to helping a once anxious society become God's people working towards a common good. And indeed, we miss out on the richness that they bring to us as a whole body of believers who are seeking to be Christ's ambassadors for the common good in the society we live. So now we're going to journey through those commandments that were given to Moses, not as a rule book for the benefit of an individual, but as a guide to call the nation towards common good. So we're going to break it up into four sections, and let's start with the first three. And they're all commands. The first three are all commands regarding the worshipping community. They're a call to keep God central within the worshipping community. Let me read the first uh, three commands. Then God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath, under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord, for the Lord Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. They're a call to love, to trust, to serve and to honour the Lord. It's a call about the worshipping community. If we think about the context of the Israelite community, these people in the first three commands are called to a new way of living that they've been, a different way that they've been forced to live. And as we've already explored, all the Israelites had known was this slavery at the hand of Pharaoh. They were anxious. Fear was their driver. Anxiety is common, but it is all, it's also common that the threat, there is also a common thread that separates community. 
When I was reflecting on the outworking of anxiety in my life this week, I was trying to work out what my response to anxiety is. Some of the markers for me is I I feel some tension in my shoulders. I can feel that. Sometimes I'll bite the inside of my cheek, uh, and and, uh, that happens a lot when I'm watching the footy and it's a close game and the Maggies are looking like they're going to win or lose. uh, Cheek gets a good workout during winter. Uh, And I withdraw from from deepening relationships, even if it's for a short time, because anxiety is actually a breaker of community. And I know that I see that in my relationship with my family even, that if I'm anxious, I won't engage in the same way that if I'm not anxious. It's very relevant for all of us now. I'm sure that there are many of us who, who just, we can't be, have the same connection that we used to have with one another, have started having more anxious moments. Maybe there's unanswered questions for you of, when can I see my loved ones again? The fear of being in a place where lots of people have been, such as the supermarket. What if I get this uh, COVID-19 disease, uh, um, flu? Whatever the bringer of anxiety in your space, it's a disabler of community. And when community is broken, common good is also fractured. So the first three commands speak directly into this redefined community, a community that was no longer defined by fear or anxiety but rather by grace. In the very first verse of Exodus 20, we hear some redefining words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, before even stating any command, God asserts who he is. He says, I am the liberator. I am the bringer of grace abundant. I am the one who is redefining you as a nation and as as people and as individuals. In the light of this, three commands then follow. Don't have any gods before me. Don't have any idols. Don't have any images to try and represent me or to use to bow before. And whatever you do, don't dishonour my name. These three are all about God's declaration to Israel that you no longer need to live in any fear. Anxiety doesn't need to be your master. Pharaoh does not need to define who you are. You're no longer a slave. You are my child. You've been rescued and you've been given abundant grace. Remember me. Love me. Worship me. Honour me. Keep me central. And above all, as a community of believers, God tells us that worship comes first. God puts them first. Who we are needs to be defined by God being central. Remember Jesus' word regarding the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God. If we think about this in terms of working as a community towards a common good, common good starts with a common focus, and that focus must be God. If our focus as a community of believers is God, then it it actually doesn't matter if we're from this church or if you're worshipping at a different church and just being a part of this for now um, because we've got an online thing going on. Our common focus as a community of believers is God. The things that touch the heart of God will be the things that impact us as a community of believers. The first three commandments are all about keeping God central. The fourth commandment tells us about Sabbath observant. And this is a sermon in itself, but in the context of the the Israelites, this is actually a call to stop. Let me read that for you. Remember the Sabbath day 
and keep it holy. This is verse 8 of chapter 20 in Exodus. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do, uh, do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slaves, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in it, but rested the seventh day. Therefore he, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and consecrated it. Here's a nation that hasn't stopped for 400 years. Now interwoven into their fabric of their society. So call for them to remember that in the beginning God made the world and everything in it in six days and on the seventh day he rested. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What does that mean for a community that all they knew was anxiety? Well, any rest would be about worrying about what tomorrow holds. Each night, you can imagine they went to bed dreaming about bricks, waking up early to find that it actually wasn't a dream. It was a nightmare because making bricks was what they did. Now God tips it upside down and says, take your rest. Your life is not defined by your work. Your life is defined by me. Stop for a day and remember those first three commandments that I gave you. (laughs) It's a big subject for today's society. I don't know about you, but Solara and I were discussing how much uh, coronavirus has made us appreciate being at home. Yesterday when we got up, there wasn't a mad scramble to get to basketball and then to the shops, then to Bunnings for the sausage and then back to basketball, then clean the house and then get changed and get ready for a party in the evening. We got up, we played a game in the evening and that's it. We made lunch, we watched a movie. We were family resting together as family. If there's one thing that I want to change when we go back to life as it was, it's making sure that Solari and I diarise more of those sort of days. Precious times which are immersed in the blessings that God has given us and acknowledging them before God, giving thanks to God for them. Because the reality of Sabbath in our pre-COVID-19 state was really tough. We had 24-7 shopping. The competitive um, society that was built up was all about making sure you kept ahead of the Joneses. We ended up getting caught in Pharaoh's regime. Continual production so that we can accumulate more. It's not what God has in mind when he says there's an alternative. Stop and rest. When was the last time you stopped and rested. I mean, really stopped. Stop to thank God for the blessings around you. I wonder if you even see those blessings because you're going too quick. You know what happens when we stop and rest? We actually find that we have more time to give to building up community, more clarity to feed into deepening relationships, more time to give to the common good. See, effective community cannot be built on a continual production and accumulation basis. We've got to stop that thinking. Now, Lord Jesus, he was master at this. I can only imagine his schedule. He wakes up in the morning, got some meetings and debating through the synagogues, teaching at a lunch spot, afternoon healings, which led into the night. It's busy in his ministry. Jesus would often, though, retreat and spend time with his father. Away from that pace, because Jesus understood that rest is where we can hear better. I used to do a a, a day a month away from the the office, so I would drive somewhere and I'd just stop for a day. 
I'd read scripture, I'd pray, I'd reflect, I'd journal. I'd try not to do any sermon writing, I'd try not to do any emails, I'd just take time to stop. I wonder if you've been able to do that. When I didn't have one of those retreat days, Solari would often pick it up. She'd say to me, you didn't do a retreat day this, this month, did you? How did I know? How did she know? Because she saw that from a place of rest, I was way more effective in my ministries. Now, it's as good a time as ever to get rest in your routine. It's a good time to find space to enjoy the blessings of God because we're called, we're told we have to stay at home. We can't go out. We can't do the things we used to. So utilize it. Refresh. Prepare for where God is calling you to be a light. Allow yourself to rest. Commandments 5 to 9, we can group them together. You'll be glad to hear that uh, I'm not going through them individually, but it's a call to a thriving relationship. Uh, Here God redefined the relationships within the community and he appealed to the Israelites to think about how they relate to their neighbour. God is calling them to, to thrive together. I can't imagine what it would have been like for the Israelites at this stage of their journey. They were nomads. They were wandering around. They were pitching a tent wherever God told them to. Then they were packing up and moving on when God said to. What a life. I complain when I have to pack my bags to go on a holiday. Within this lifestyle, I'm sure there would have been times where tensions would have risen. Lots of people living closely together. Someone accidentally takes someone else's camel and a scuffle breaks out. A domestic occurs and all of a sudden neighbours are breaking up a fully-fledged fight. Kids have bullied one of the younger boys, leaving him in tears. How did you work these things out in this community that uh, just always used to live in anxiety? First of all, honour mum and dad. Don't kill anyone. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. And don't bear false witness about your neck. Don't lie. These commands gave the nation a common guideline as to how to treat others in the community. See, God sets out a basis of respect for each other and an obligation to protect those in their community. In them, God sets out what common good doesn't look like. He said, if you, if you murder, that's not a common good thing. Or even if you think of someone in that way. That's where Jesus brings it to but he also helps us to understand how to seek common good for all. Pharaoh's whole kingdom was based on manipulation of the people, regardless of the cost to human relationship. Production was so much more important than people. So God is saying, that's not how it is. He calls them to a different way. I wonder how you view your neighbour. I wonder how you treat them. Your physical neighbour, or the people you work with, or the people in your church. Some good questions you can ask yourself are, did I speak badly about someone today? Did I take something from someone that wasn't mine? Did I say someone, uh, something to someone that was given to me in confidence? Did I get angry towards anyone today? Is there anyone I need to find forgiveness from? Or is there anyone that I need to forgive? There's just some questions that you can ask yourself about, how am I going in loving my neighbour? How am I going in finding common good? So as a community striving for common good, we're called to keep God central. We're called to rest. We're called to thriving relationships. And finally, we're called to contentment. The final um, commandment in verse 17 says this, You shall not covet your neighbour's house. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. (laughs) If we're to consider common good, this is vital. Be content with what you have. And on face value, this would be seen as a don't be envious of what others have got. That shiny new car next door, you think, oh, that'll look really good in my driveway. Just be thankful you've got a car. I wish I had those shoes. Should be rather, thanks God that I've got shoes. <laughs> but in the context that Israel's come from, it's so much more than that. It's more a safeguard against the powerful exploiting those who are vulnerable. Pharaoh had this system of exploitation. Everything he did was exploitation. I see that, I want that, I will take that. And the vulnerable people copped it. And it happens everywhere, doesn't it? The schoolyard, workplaces, our homes, our neighbourhoods. And I'm sure Israel society, it would have been very easy to fall in what they, into what they knew from Egypt. It would have been very easy for them to develop this pecking order, a place where the wealthy get more and the lowest receive nothing. God's redefinition of a place of no coveting brings Israel back to a place of contentment. Be content. And if we head back to verse 2 of chapter 20, we remember why. It says, Because I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's God that rescued them from a place of scarcity and anxiety to a place of abundance and freedom. Be content because I'm the provider of everything you need, everything you will need. When are you content? At what stage are you content with all your possessions? When are you content in your employment? How content are you with how church is and what happens around it? Because if all we do is look around and see other things as better, we're never going to be content. The reality of a discontent community as well is that we can't work together for the common good of all because that's what these commandments are about. We've got these ten commandments that redefine Israel from a place of slavery to a place of total freedom through grace, from anxiety to abundance through grace, a place where they have what they need to make a community work, where they can live with plenty, plenty, where they're called to honour God and keep God central, where they're told they need to make time for rest, they're told to live in harmony with one another and to be content with everything they have. You know, the Ten Commandments are actually all about grace. They're about the grace of God, as we have seen throughout Israel's history, stepping in and saying, these commandments, they're avenues for bringing grace to this community as you work together to live together, to worship together for the good of him who we love. It's not a formula for instant community. Do these things and everything's going to be great. No, these are the defining basis that Israel is to live by as they live in a changing world with very human relationships and very real needs. These are the very guidelines to which God has entrusted or entered and through grace God and then allowed the Israelites to function and grow as a nation and a community. You know, as we enter our 32nd year of KSBC, my prayer is that we'll follow some of these principles that bond community together through God's grace and help us to work towards the common good of all 
who we interact with. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you that your word brings hope and truth into our life. We thank you that grace is abundant, that we do not need to live in fear. And we pray, our God, that as we work towards the common good of seeing your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we ask our God that you help us to live by that good. We thank you, Lord, for your word and the life that it brings us. Amen.